Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, people of all ages, welcome to the Sticky Floors podcast. I am one of your hosts, CJ, and I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Will. And (laughs) this week, we are talking about state of play. And I got to tell you, like, like I was this year's old when I saw this movie. Somehow, I completely missed this one. This is um, a pick from Mr. Will, and I got to give you your salutes, man, because I watched this and at different points through the movie, I was like, this is good. This is a really good movie. <laughs> like, I need to say thank you, Mr. Will, for helping me to define this. This is, this is a treat. So this, this, is a, this is a really good joint, man. Yo, so 2009, where did you where did you see this? Like, how did you come into contact with this movie? Well, actually, um, this is kind of like a bad, <laughs> a bad joint, though. <laughs> Wait, I, I didn't was... try to bring up a bad. I'm gonna try to bring up a bad, <laughs> a bad memory. Yeah, uh, short story long, and I do mean short story long. Is uh, my youngest had just been born the year before. Our mother and I were going through some stuff, and mm. I was just mm. trying to not think so i just Mm. was drowning my sorrows in uh just movies comic books cartoons like just escapism Mm. and then when Mm. i saw this it just it was like yeah i don't know if i can finish this but it was so good that i was like you know what i'll make an exception because it touched it touched a raw nerve man yeah and it's a it's a it's a great movie i mean like it's it's very much in the theme of what we've been talking about for the month of November, which is like the political mm-hmm. dramas. Um, and this is a good way to close that month out. And uh, I know there's like a quick introduction to the movie. So you want to let just let people know what the movie is about. Um, once again, it, like as always, there's spoilers. So if you haven't seen this, it's definitely worth watching. And uh, it's actually on Netflix. So mm-hmm. it's something that you can you can access very easily if you have Netflix. Um, But, Will, you want to give people just a quick breakdown on what the movie is about, and then we can jump into the culture. Yeah, so this is a movie that came out in 2009, like CJ said, and just a brief synopsis is it's a political uh, thriller that's inspired by real-life politics. Uh, It explores a conspiracy of the privatization of Homeland Security to defense contractors. it also comments on the role of reporters, ownership of a newspaper by corporations and both parties' interests, uh, speaks to the part that the government plays. And this is all done through the backdrop of a journalist who's investigating the private life of a politician. In tandem with that, um, he's working alongside a online blogger. And this is due to the unfortunate death, or uh, really the murder of the congressman's aide um, which was originally believed to be a possible suicide. And then even on top of that, coincidentally, um, the politician and the reporter are former college roommates. And even to complicate matters even further to muddy the waters, the congressman um, has an affair with the victim and the reporter has an affair with the congressman's wife. There it is. There it is. Such messiness. Yeah. <laughs> such 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 nastiness, man. And it, and this one, this has got an all star cast, man. I mean, you got Russell Crowe in this. You got yeah. Ben Affleck, who I definitely want to talk about for a couple of minutes here. Um, Rachel McAdams is in this. We got Viola Davis 
is in this. My man, Jason Bateman, coming mm-hmm. in, playing a, a real lizard at one point in this joint. <laughs> Jeff Daniels. I mean, like, this is a this is a top-notch movie. I know that you Can't love the ensemble. Helen oh, yeah, absolutely. As the editor, she's yeah. perfect. And, and listen, and that's one of the things about this. This movie has great casting. Yeah. You know, like, this is just... The casting in this, it's just, it's really, really, really well done. Um, but I want to talk on a couple, talk about a couple of points there. So one of the things that you mentioned in the intro was the idea of like homeland security, mm-hmm. right? And just for context, people may or may not know this, but there was not always a Department of Homeland Security. That's correct. Department of Homeland Security <laughs> actually was formed after September 11th. Mm-hmm. And it was the beginning of, um, to sort of simplify it, it was the beginning of like the privatization of the military movement. Mm-hmm. And you remember that the Bush administration, one of their main things was the idea of how to privatize and essentially make government function more like businesses. Mm-hmm. And that led to the creation, not the creation, but the proliferation of government contracting businesses that were doing jobs that were formerly managed by the Department of Defense and then were being really um, supported financially by the Department of Homeland Security, which is the backdrop to this story. And I know you look like you definitely want to jump in on that that point there. No, it's just that it's just, I just can recall being able to go to uh, various uh, entities, whether it be an airport or even, uh, you know, you know, Port Authority or whatever have you, and not feel as if you were living in a police state. Um, mm. Like I mm. actually worked in New York um, during 9-11 and I actually had to get out of New York. I was working in Midtown. Um, so I I can witness first, like I saw the planes hit with my own eyes. You know what I'm saying? Like the first plane, I, I wasn't on TV. I was commuting into the tunnel, saw the first plane hit and the, the thing that I was thinking of is not only was it tragic because, you know, all those lives were lost on that plane, mm-hmm. but I was running late. So I was like on a personal, you know, callous note. I was like, well, I have a story to tell it to explain why I'm late. So mm-hmm. as I get into the building, that's when I'm hearing people crying and talking about that. There was another plane mm-hmm. simultaneously while all that was going on. I'm in Port Authority and people are running. I mean, outright sprint through mm-hmm. Port Authority. I say all that to say that um, anytime we speak to the government, there's always been this uh, this undercurrent of conspiracies and such, which this movie talks about in a very uh, yep. prolific way. Um, but the application in real life is that, no, there's merit to it. So it's not just, you know, lambasting someone for wearing a tinfoil hat and being secluded mm. and surrounded in their home remember, with newspapers. Yeah, I remember that. I yeah. remember that. No, this is something yeah. real. Yeah, it's fun. It's interesting, right? That idea of privacy and mm-hmm. how your privacy could be infringed upon. And in, and in many ways, it's interesting now because if anything, the the idea that government has to spy on you to get information yeah. is kind of been watered down by the fact that so many people put all their information out anyway mm-hmm. through social media that everybody always knows where you are, who you were with, mm-hmm. what you were eating, what you were wearing. I mean... It's it's kind of it's kind of bugged out because it used to be a time and and you know we kind of grew up in an age where I was just you about to wanted speak to, that. to move with silence you know like code that, of the G 
that idea of like you know bad boys move with silence and violence and like not the violence part so much but just the idea that you didn't always want people to know where you were i do my dirt by my lonely right and this movie is like along with um the enemy of the state is another Mm -hmm. one that really gets into that idea of of the police state thing and so one of the things like this movie is definitely talking about is the idea of the the um the you know federal department of homeland security government contracting privatization of the of the military kind of thing and i have to point out that this movie in 2009 comes out during the obama administration mm-hmm. and the obama administration towards the end started a campaign to try to take or or well at least on the surface try to limit the ability for police in the united states to get access to military technology which is crazy and, and because that because that's another thing too is that over time the the military technology that was being developed to fight wars in other countries became available to police departments in the united states to ostensibly police american citizens mm-hmm. right and there's been so much written and stated and debated and and um protested against the ability for police to have access to that type of technology and that type of weaponry because it escalates Mm -hmm. the violent response that people see within their communities. So the idea in this movie that Ben Affleck's character is trying to stop that from happening is interesting because years later, that's exactly what we saw happening in Mm -hmm. the United States. Yeah. It's crazy, man. It's a deep, it's a deep thing. It's a deep thing. And then, and then you also mentioned the part about the news, Mm -hmm. right? And the idea of the news station, which is an important part of the story is the newspaper being taken over by, um, new ownership. Right. And do you remember, cause, cause you know, like you're up North, you remember when, um, Jeff Bezos bought the New York times Mm -hmm. and how big that was and how concerned people were about the news losing its objectivity yes as a result of that and that's a theme that plays out in this movie as well well that's the other thing too um you have these two opposing forces i mean because their dynamics are uh supposed to be for the people versus a select few i mean you're talking about a media company in which the 1% get rich and their whole uh, motivations are driven by profit. Whereas in contrast, uh, the newspaper was supposed to be the means by which the communities were linked together and the the way that uh, news itself was spread um, through vast channels. You know, it wasn't, uh, surprise, surprise, there was no internet, there was no computers, there wasn't even a television set or a radio. Um, it was just the written word. Um, and, and even before that, stone tablets. Um, but nonetheless, you have the Washington Globe, in this case, in the movie, that is uh, being bought out. And uh, Helen uh, Mirren's character, Cameron Lim, the publisher and editor, excuse me, the editor, uh, says to Russell Crowe's character, uh, Cal McCaffrey, uh, he glances over to his left. He sees some different fonts for the new uh, supposedly more stimulating 
uh, print of the Washington Globe. And she says, what do you think? And they both acknowledge that they hate it. And they both provide yeah. a small commentary as far as the state of affairs uh, that they find themselves upon, which um, I say that to say that, um, like CJ mentioned, um, I'm up north and um, in our town, there was a, uh, a local newspaper that wasn't so local um, that eventually got bought out, relocated, uh, hmm. sold the building. Now the buildings are uh, pretty much um, these luxury apartments. Uh, hmm. So it's it's a totally different climate. And you can see how um, the transition has come from, you know, one where um, you're looking out for the little guy and, and public interest. And now it's the corporatization, uh, proliferating uh, profits at any means um, through the media uh, via uh, these ma these major conglomerates. So it's an yeah. interesting state of affairs if you just want to assess uh, very uh, unattached and unemotional. Yeah, and I mean, like, that's... I think that those themes that are running underneath this movie are part of what gives it a flavor and an authenticity. Definitely. And, you know, as as somebody who's in the, D, the D.C. area, what, you know, what we call the DMV, I appreciated how many landmarks there were in this mm -hmm. that were like places I know in DC, like right. Metro, Ben's Chili Bowl, Chinatown, Kennedy Center, you know, the wharf, the old wharf before it got kind of updated and very expensive at this point. But <laughs> just like just like looking at those things. So they really put a lot of time into thinking about not only telling a good story, but also then having like the good surrounding story parts that are connecting yeah. underneath. And, uh, and I gotta, I gotta take a moment to like, just talk about my man, Ben Affleck real quick. So we, so we were talking about, about this, like, <laughs> so here's, here's my, my theory is Ben Affleck always plays like two roles, right? <laughs> and he's either wall street or he's a goon. Like that's what he does. Right. And he does it really well. And I know we were going back and, I think like this movie is like the Wall Street Ben Affleck and Wall Street Ben Affleck is always, always know Wall Street Ben Affleck in a movie because he's always got on a suit. He's always got on a tie. Maybe the tie will be undone. Maybe he's got glasses on, <laughs> but that's that. Whenever he's goon, whenever he's goon Ben Affleck, he's always like a little grizzled. He's got like facial hair, like stubble. He's like, he's in like really good shape or not. He's mean. He's like, he's like kind of like violent and everything. <laughs> And the thing that I was thinking about is, yo, this is why Ben Affleck works as Batman, because Batman <laughs> is essentially a Wall Street guy and a goon at the same time, right? right? And it's like, that's why Ben Affleck works. And Ben Affleck works in this movie because the other thing that he does really well in his movies is he always plays these characters that are just kind of morally ambiguous in a way that you believe they're capable of anything. More and in ridiculous. and in this movie, as the movie goes on, you find out that this dude is capable of anything, right? But at first, <laughs> you don't you don't really you don't really see that, right? So um, there's something there's 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 a quote that I that I read, and uh, we talked about this in the pre production, but it's it's um, a quote by Oscar Wilde, and the quote is, "Everything is about sex except sex. Sex is about power." And I thought about that as I was watching this, because you think the movie is going to be about an affair between 
Ben Affleck's character and his aide. But then it's really about these power dynamics and control that's happening between this corporation point core and the government and Ben Affleck's little, you know, world of the government or world of the Congress that he's trying to maintain. So, you know, there's, there's like just some, some really interesting things that are happening in here. And then I just got to shout out this other one quick thing about DC culture, man. Like, yo, so when I, when I was in college, one of my college coaches would say that in the Northeast, everybody eats in the dark, right? Eats, everybody eats and drinks in the dark, right? In the restaurants. When you, there's a scene in this movie where he goes and he meets up with Ben Affleck's wife, right? And they're in a bar and it's like the classic DC bar. Like it is so dim in there and dark that all you can barely see the person in front of you, right? And, I, and I've been in enough bars in DC to know that that's how it is or that's how it used to be. Now it's different because now everybody wants to be on Instagram. So everywhere is lit up and there's like, you know, purple lights and pink lights and a green mesh forest wall and all this, <laughs> all this kind of stuff. But back then, you went out to like you would go into a place and you had to use your phone to see the menu because it was so dark in places. <laughs> and I just I just loved the authenticity of that, man. So what what were some things that go ahead? I yeah, piggyback off of your Ben Affleck theory. So like yeah, CJ yeah, mentioned uh in the in the pre-meeting that we had, the pre-program meeting, um he discussed um and elaborately too, uh, I'm almost convinced of it, even though I'm still struggling to find it, the like i just can't i don't know i guess daredevil was a precursor to batman and he fits mm -hmm. the narrative because hey matt murdoch is the good guy dressed in suit? the suit <laughs> and daredevil tie. he's the vigilante goon. who's beating people up goon. and due to his guilt of catholicism he nicknamed himself the dare the devil of of uh of hell's uh, kitchen hell's kitchen and then i started thinking you know like jiggly um armageddon Goom. um Goom. reindeer games and I, i'm like man clerks and i'm like man maybe this dude is right i i couldn't believe it <laughs> um so shout out to cj for coming up with a very novel uh, uh theory Yo, that i don't know he I'm does a good job in that role though like changing lanes yeah he's I, not that's that's wall street Put on a suit and tie. Yo, that's why the accountant works. Good because he hunting, gets like accountant. Yo, he gets to play both. And the accountant he gets to be like, you know, put on some glasses, suited up, then AK 47. Goon. He gets to do both of them. He does them well. Yeah, and I'm even trying to think of that movie that he's with um uh what's her face? I can see her uh the Black Mamba. Um, what's her name? Um she was in uh, one of the movies we commented on, um, um, Quentin Tarantino movie that we did earlier in the season. I'm drawing a blank for some reason. Black Mamba, Vivica Fox? No, blonde. The one, uh, the 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 blonde haired woman who beats him. My girlfriend's a superhero. Um, she was. Oh, in... um, you're talking about? Um, yeah, I know you're talking about. Um, I know what you're talking about. It's gonna come to me, or you can look it up while we're while we're. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna we're... have to because I, yeah. I can't do that. But my point okay. in referencing that is. They're in a movie together, and he's basically a corporate raider who works in a racist and a racist. Yes, movie. and I'm like, CJ's on to something here. I remember that. It's look, just, man, it, he knows how to score. Look, he know. Look, it's like Steph Curry knows 
hey, I'm a great three-point shooter. I should shoot more threes, right? Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman, that's it. Yo, but that's the thing. He knows, like, what he does. Like, Ben Affleck, he knows, hey, look, this is the role. I got it. And do I get Wall Street or Goon? If you really want to get the best out of me, let me do both. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, with that said, with that said, let's jump into the cake, man. Let's all right. So I got I got a couple of um I got a couple of slices of cake here. Um yo, first, like, yo, shout outs to I, I'm just gonna call Russell Crowe. I know his his character's name is Cal. I'm gonna call him Russ affectionately. <laughs> Yo, shout out to Russ and the pinky ring. I just, from the beginning, I was like, okay, he's, he's in the game 10 tones down. Cause he's got, he's got a pinky ring. So I, I like that. <laughs> um, I also really like the contrast between Steven and Cal. Like you can see how Annie's character can kind of like both of them because they're different, but they're both you know, in their own world, I'm sure they're like, they're really running things. I thought that was a good contrast. Um, yo, I love the scene where um, Russ gets in, the, is in the whole, is uh, going to see the guy in the uh, apartment and realizes that that's the killer mm-hmm. and how he does like a great job of playing a person who's afraid because yeah. they've come in there like two feet away from a, a military trained killer. I thought he just does a great job. Even when he runs out of there and he gets mm-hmm. on the phone, like very realistic, you know, but that's Russ. That's why Russ is a good actor. Um, I also love, I also love the scene where Ben Affleck is in the hotel room and uh, goes and stomps <laughs> out Jason Bateman. By the way, <laughs> shout out to Jason Bateman for like coming in an hour and 15 minutes into the joint, being like a lizard character, but doing it so well that you're like, this dude is great, man. Like right away, you you like him as the like nervous, twitchy, kind of on drugs, political, like like PR pimp kind of per. It's just everything works, right? I love that. And then the other thing I will say is I really like the ending of this. And what this movie does is a great job of being unpredictable. Mm. I I didn't know mm. where the movie was going till the end of it. And if you do that for me and I'm watching it, I love movies like that. So that's what I got on the cake side. What you what you got for the um, cake? Well, as usual, I like movies that have ensemble casts. Um, mm-hmm. So definitely the thing that I like is the cast, whether it be Viola Davis as the coroner, um, Dr. Judith for what, 10 minutes, seven minutes? Yeah, seven to 10 minutes that you see her. Um, or David Harbor, shout out to him. Um, is that Red Guardian? That's yes, him? it is. Yes. Yo, Red Guardian was great in this thing, man. Good. Sorry. The younger. No, no, no. Definitely. Please elaborate. No, I mean he's Red Guardian. Like when I saw him, I was thinking like, oh, that's Red Guardian from the from the Black Widow movie. And then I was like, he's scary in this. I was like, man, he's good. <laughs> so yeah, shout out to him. Good. Uh, but the younger audience might know him from Stranger Things, and they're actually about the film uh, right, part two. Right, so right. Um, shout out to him. But um, the cast does it for me in a way that all of them play uh, believable individuals that you could find in real life. And um, they depict these individuals in such a way that it crystallizes the reason why I hate this movie. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily mean like it's a bad movie. I just mean like it's a love hate thing. Um, these individuals, you, you are invested as far as, uh, their depth, their development, 
um, and where you project them to be at at the closing uh, credits. Um, another thing that I liked about this movie is the interaction between um, Russell Crowe's character, Cal McCaffrey, and not necessarily Ben Affleck, even though it's great, but with the wife, Anne, mm-hmm. uh, Anne Collins, uh, who was played by Robin Wright. Um, mm-hmm. The thing that uh, I, I really like about that is it reminds me of um, the pretty much stereotypical roles that men and women find themselves in where the bad boy is enticing and um, he uh, brings out this side in the so-called innocent girl uh, where she's willing to risk it all at the drop of a dime. Um, Then there's also the aspect of uh, he may have been the true love of her life, uh, Mm. but she settled upon her safe guy or her backup plan because Ben Affleck's character has the, uh, uh, ability to quote unquote be changed has a future uh is more presentable uh, uh he he has power prestige good looks he's athletic mm-hmm. he's taller um he's just you know <laughs> he's everything <laughs> he's just everything that supposedly you you want in a in a in a mate as far as from the male populace uh and um last but not least um she just appears um coy one minute and then the next minute she is uh, vulnerable. Um, she's very open, um, but she's also manipulative. And this will get to uh, uh, the other thing that I liked, disliked, um, is the fact that she appears to be someone who is slept on, like most of the female characters in here. However, they have that umph if you will where they're not to be taken lightly and in fact they mm-hmm. help to drive the story home um yep whether it be helen mirren's character as the editor meaning she's the top chief involved she decides what goes down how it goes down um she even um is willing to put certain people in their place even if it's done uh very uh in a uh non uh a non-combative whimsical type of way as evident when she tells uh, Harry and I forget the other gentleman's name, um, you know, this is your room for the next whatever yeah, amount of time. You, this is where you're moving. You're, yeah, you're living here for now. Yep. And no more smoking doobies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, that's funny. And all the way to, uh, again, Anne's character where um, she literally sleeps with her husband's best friend, college roommate, et cetera, et cetera. Like, like again, credit to CJ. For someone to do that, there has to be a a, a strong ounce of vindictiveness, vitriol. Um, because <laughs> why would you do that to someone you supposedly care for, love in in the best of times and the worst of times? Um, so just yeah. her ability to be that chameleon. Ugh. Yeah, I think she does. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Robin White is is good in this and. She's very much the third part of the triangle. Yes. And she definitely drives the story for it. And there's a part at the end, which I know you want to talk about, and we'll talk about it in a second, that yeah. she actually is the linchpin to the ending of the movie. But you know, but you know, you brought up um you brought up the affair that is talked about between her and Russell Crowe. And that's one of the things that's in my kind of hate. And part of it is that i just i understand why that that's there mm-hmm. i just always felt like that part of the movie is done in a clunky kind of way 
And the reason why I'm saying that is because I don't think it clearly, I don't think as the audience, you clearly get an idea for the context of when the affair happened. Although you become aware of the fact that Ben Affleck knew about it, mm -hmm. right? So it's happened sometime since they were married. And it appears to be sometime in the recent past. Yes. But you're not really sure of when it happens. And it's a, it's a difficult thing because I think from the narrative standpoint, it creates this um, additional tension and messiness between Russ and Ben Affleck's character. But it also kind of undercuts the affair that Ben Affleck had because then you're kind of watching it and you're thinking to yourself, well, I mean, gosh, you did sleep with his best friend. I mean, like that was wrong, you know, like, and it's not that it gives, and not, it's not that it condones what, what Ben Affleck did, but it frames it in a different way. And mm -hmm. then you kind of learn that even this woman that he was involved in was kind of set up to infiltrate his, his, uh, his uh, office and, and do all this kind of stuff. So I didn't like how they did the mechanics around the affair between you know, um, Russ's character, Cal and, and that just felt sort of clunky. Um, I also hated the part where Russ was talking slang. They should, they should have never did that. That, was, <laughs> that was, that felt like a hate crime when it was happening. They shouldn't, they shouldn't allow that. Um, and then I think, um, actually that's it. That's, I, oh, and I, I just don't like Russ with long hair, but that's, that's just, it just looks weird to me. <laughs> It's not really a big deal. Like, like it's not a big deal. I think that's just part of making him look different from Ben Affleck. And I get it. It just looks weird, but that's me. Um, good. I know, I know. So I know you got some, some hate, but I also want to make sure we get to that part about the ending yeah. and how that, the question about how that ending happens. I think that was interesting. Well, the lone hate I have, I guess, can be summarized as there is, there are no innocent people in this. Uh, there's no one that you really root for entirely uh, because they are of uh, virtue. Um, so, yeah, um, I mean, whether it be the naive uh, intern online blogger uh, played by. Uh, uh, oh, man, I'm drawing Rachel blank. McAdams, Ma yeah, Rachel McAdams as Della. Um, she lets it slip that that indeed Russell Crowe's character, Cal, slept with Anne. And the editor would have never known that unless Rachel McAdams yeah, inserted herself scene. into the picture because she thought that she was going to get squeezed out of the uh, writing process, the credits, et cetera, et cetera. And for her, it was a come up. She plays yeah. the stereotypical, ambitious, young, naive, up and coming uh, 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 in, uh, female who's who's willing to risk it all except for maybe uh uh, stripping. And even that you, d you don't even know it might be, she might sleep with her way up to the top. You never know. Like nothing is off limits for any of these characters. And I think that's the thing that really irks me, um, is that some of these people need to draw the boundary. You know, they have, I like the saying goes, the road to hell is paved with bad, with good intentions. So all these people may have had good intentions, but I, the ambivalence, I mean, I get it in the real world. No one is all everything. But some of us are more leaned, I like to think, lean to the good things, good side of things. So with respect to the the one thing I guess I'm hung up on that CJ and I spoke at in depth is Ann Collins' inconfidence, if you will, or in a, in a period of uh, a brief 
moment after uh, Stephen Collins gives goes on the record and gives his statement about everything that's transpired in order to validate the story. She says to him, yeah, he, I can't believe he slept with her or something to the effect of, yeah, he slept with her for $26,000 a, a month. She was, yeah, she was getting paid $26,000 a month. Yeah. To, 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 to be pay involved. Off, yeah. To pay off the debt. She had like $40,000 of debt, et cetera, et cetera. And that all harkens back to, uh, Jeff, Jeff Daniels character and shout out to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, representative, uh, uh, I think he plays, uh, Fergus. Yeah. Uh, representative yeah, Fergus. Um, he says, yep. that, he says, uh, that he was the one who, uh, through a family friend when you find out it really isn't. So it's through some other sleazy means by which he had her infiltrate, take notes and report back to him. And, um, just the fact that she ends up catching feelings and then Mr. Lizard, AKA Jason Bateman, AKA uh, <laughs> Dominic Foy is able to try and manipulate the situation to get what he wants. Um, and he, and shout out to him as a, since we're talking about him for saying, Oh, so that's your guy. You're sleeping with him in response to Della. And he says, Oh, I got a guy. I got a girl too. I don't leave anybody out. Like right, that right, is right. the, that's like the that. epitome of slime baldness. But um, nonetheless, um, for Ann Collins to let Cal know, especially him of all people, because he's like a dog with a bone. He can't let up. So for her to just let it casually play in that, yeah, he committed adultery for $26,000 a month, even though he didn't pay the funds. I thought that yeah. was calculated. I thought it was deliberate. I thought that she couldn't get over the fact that he tried to one up her at the if if you wish to look at it that way, but at the very least get even, she couldn't let that go. She also couldn't let go of the fact that, um, as she mentioned, he says you just have to make a, a distinguished uh, presentation or a comment as far as like mm-hmm. when we go before the public and, you know, I apologize a la every politician, every uh, public figure mm-hmm. who commits adultery and then their wife. And I, I can't remember the movie, but one main character says she wasn't going to allow herself to be the victim and she wasn't going to go before uh, anyone and basically, uh, uh, you know, live in sin with her man and condone his behavior in the public eye and then chastise him in the in private. She was going to be consistent. And that made me think of Ann Collins, where she's. She's trifling. Yeah, she tells him. Yeah, she tells him. Yeah, I mean, so that that's interesting because when the first time I watched the movie, so so the so the 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 question is like, and I, and I I agree with you now having thought about it more, but did she intentionally mention that she knew about the twenty six thousand dollar payment Definitely. because because that is really what gives the ending the movie the surprise ending and it, and it's great it's a great bit of writing, and it's and it's fascinating because. I, in the beginning, that detail, I think I heard that detail as something that she may have just mentioned. And if, and, and I think, and it, what I think the beauty of that scene is how it happens is, you know, Russ finds out, Russ comes to that conclusion while he's talking to Rachel mm-hmm. McAdams character and Rachel McAdams character says, well, no, nah, didn't, didn't, um, Steven mention it during the deposition. And he's mm-hmm. like, no, nah, he didn't. And he never saw that part because that wasn't in the videotape that we showed him. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, everything comes together. And it's just interesting because, yes, absolutely, her character mentioned that to Cal mm-hmm. because she knew he would investigate it. Of course. And he does. She and he knows does. him. And, 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 he, and she does. And I mean, 
it's it's interesting it's like it's it's a really interesting interesting detail and i agree with you i mean there's no there's no real heroes in, in, None. in this in this movie and and that's like i think that's that's interesting because you know there's this there's this storyline that's happening about the news and the ostensible truth of the news and yet the truth is being talked about by people that are constantly lying to each other to their best friend to their wife to their employer whatever just lies 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 and yet truth is the thing there so yo i got a i got a couple of questions shoot um so here's one and this this is um a question about why did why did cal feel like he needed to show Steven the tape of the guy talking at the motel he could have told him over the phone like that that was kind of it felt like a setup like when you think about it he had to know that he was going to have that kind of wild emotional reaction like why did he do that what, what was what do you think what are your thoughts on that i think that's a great segue and transition from one petty vindictive evil uh individual to another uh both have selfish motivations Cal knows that he's in the entertainment business. He knows that he can make sensational and titillating uh, uh, stories come to life by just giving the slightest nudge to individuals. And of course, he knows Stephen. He's interjected himself. There was a conflict of interest from the beginning, and he should have recused himself, but he didn't. So in that same vein, if I know that this is the, the thing that'll get you hyped because I'm the one who already committed such an, uh, a despicable act against you. And you've basically haven't talked about it when at the very least, we should have had a conversation at the most, we shouldn't even be talking anymore. You should have knocked me out. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think that he did it to like, you know, get that edge and to spark controversy and to, you know, just, just because some people want to see the world burn. So he knew that, you know, let me set this guy up because he could have told him over the phone. Hey, yada, 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 et cetera, was, et cetera. Yeah, that was a phone call. That wasn't yeah. that he didn't have to bring him down there. To, yeah, that's to, that's, a, that's the, a text message. Yeah, he, he had to. He definitely said yeah, so that. He set him up intentionally. So so along those lines, and um, I, I think I know what transfer is going to be, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. So after all this is done, does does Cal does Cal do Cal and Annie date after this? Definitely. And it's not even dating. <laughs> it's more like a situation ship where they just have raw oh, uh, man. intimacy in all types of places. Like they're the sleazy people where she's like spit in my mouth type of stuff. Oh, you know man. I mean? Yes. Yeah. Messing yeah. with it being a children's show right now, man. I'm just saying, like, she's that type of individual. Uh, you remember Yo, that Closed Cab Confessions on HBO? Taxi Cab Confessions. Taxi Cab Confessions. Yeah. That's, cab that's, confessions, that's them. Yeah. yeah. That's that was a yeah. That was that was uh. I actually really like that show. To be honest with you, I don't know what that says about me. But <laughs> moving right along, are there any questions that you had about that? <laughs> Love that segue. Uh, yeah, I actually had a couple of questions for you. Um, and again, nice segue, CJ. Um, mine tend to be about um the uh, audacity that Anne has. So, okay. um. Did Stephen sleep with Sonia to get back at Anne? Good question. I'm going to say no. And 
Here's why. I don't I don't think that let's see what's the best way to say this. I don't think that men do revenge infidelity. Mm. I don't think that's a, I don't think that I think that for men when that happens it's because your biological urge got ahead of your common sense, right? And that that's not certainly not to condone it, but I don't think that it's like a calculated move in that way. And I think that like you know, he says that, you know, something I remember him saying something to the effect of like she thought I was interesting. She was, you know, she thought I was funny and smart and all those things. Mm -hmm. I think that like, that's usually what happens and that can happen. And it does happen all the time anywhere. I don't think like it's predicated on I'm, I'm still trying to get revenge because of something that and did with my friend. Mm. That's, that's my take. That's interesting. Um, Revenge cheating. (sighs) It's a scary, scary premise, scary problem, yeah. prospect. First of all, um, I I want it to be known. I don't condone uh, infidelity of any type, whether it be just boyfriend, girlfriend, dating, whatever have you. Um, I definitely in marriage. Um, so I just want to make that known. Um, and even if there's that you pushed me, uh, no, I'm not buying that either. So with the dynamic of him uh, even resorting to seeking some type of revenge because of what she did, he should have just divorced her once she told him. And I think that females in particular cheat uh, with an emotional factor um, very prevalent when they do it. Um, It's more about emotions. They're invested. Um, I don't know too many females, especially in in my own personal dealings, as well as those when I've been on the periphery listening to friends and family of uh, females uh, not cheating because they quote unquote like the guy. Um, So with that being said, um, I think that Steven did it, like you said, where his uh, biological, if you will, for lack of a better phrase, exceeded his common sense. Whereas hers Mm -hmm. was more about, not only am I getting back at you, but I'm going to be with the bad guy who is more enticing than you. You're boring. And I don't think Steven ever displayed that whole like, oh no, I can flip the script. Yeah, he should have showed her. He should have showed her the goon side. He should have showed her he could be a goon. And you know, he should have got went out and got a pinky ring, and it would (laughs) have it would have worked. (laughs) It would have worked. It would have worked. My other question for CJ um, is: uh, Are online bloggers and reporters Uh, the same? It's a good question. So we so here's what here's what I would say about this. In my mind, and granted. I'm from an older version of the matrix, right? <laughs> in my, in my version of the matrix, the new, like the New York times, the Washington post, the Chicago sun times <laughs> are brands where there's an important, um, precedent put on the idea of at least trying to tell the truth mm. and that before certain stories can be published, someone has to vet the story to say, do you have a source? Mm. Do you have something that legitimizes this? Right. And and that's a, that's a conversation that happens throughout the movie. Like I can't print, like at one point, I think they tell them we can't print this without yeah. a source, without, mm-hmm. without somebody on the record. Right. 
I tend to think, and once again, I could be wrong, but I tend to think that that same standard is not in place and not as enforced when it comes to blogging. And that if for some reason a blog has to post a retraction of a story or a modification, it doesn't carry the same weight as if a if a, per, a, a, a periodical of public record has to do the same thing. So I would say that it's it's distinction, it's differences by distinction. Mm. The blogger is different from the reporter, is different from the journalist. They, the journalist, I think, is the higher standard, highest standard and has to have sources and evidence and proof. The reporter can take that and um, kind of mix some of the, the truth with the perspective. I think blogging allows for the biggest perspective and, the, and allows for the most room of interpretation of truth without necessarily the burden of fact. So that's what... That's what I would say. No, no, I was a little bit wordy, but no, 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 no. I, wow, I can appreciate that. I would just, I would just uh, caution about liable as well as uh, slander, and I would mm -hmm. draw reference to the recent protest, both in Seattle and in Denver, in which police had assaulted bloggers, uh, and trying to make that distinction that they weren't quote unquote real reporters. And then mm. one case in particular where an Asian reporter did successfully sue the police uh, due to a ruling stating that she was uh, indeed acting in the manner of a reporter. Um, so, in, so in situations like that, so legally, the police cannot assault someone who is considered to be a representative of the news. Mm -hmm. And if you have that distinction, then you are and so in that case the blogger and the reporter are on the same level mm -hmm. at least legally okay all right cool well i just learned something so i like that <laughs> okay all right i'll take i got it I'll, I'll take that i'll take that i guess i guess i guess that's what happens when they update the matrix after you you know after your version it's just you know i'm in the i'm in the merovingian version the old joint where we you know still got to dodge bullets so it's a little different um <laughs> All right. So um so let's get into the let's get into the boxes of popcorn on this one. Um so here's the thing, man. So I'm I'm gonna go first. So first, yeah. like I said from the like I said from the beginning, I had I had not seen I saw this movie on Netflix for the first time. I thought this was a really good movie. And it's interesting because I struggled with whether or not to make this a four or five star movie because I actually thought that the characters were good. Like I said, I, I like the casting the story, everything, what it was missing for me, and it's the only thing that I would, reason why I would downgrade it, is that it was missing the prolific acting that stamps a character in your mind mm -hmm. along with the movie. And, you know, I was saying earlier that, you know, if you think about The Godfather or, you know, Casino or Carlito's Way or Scarface, Part of what makes those movies is that it stamps in your mind a character mm -hmm. that you associate with that movie. And I think this movie, while it's got some really good acting in it and some really great actors, it doesn't really have like that same thing to mm -hmm. it, you know? 
So for that being said, I'm going to land with at four and a half boxes of popcorn with this. This is a high, this is a high rated movie for me. I really, I really dug this. And I think if, it, if you like to be stimulated intellectually by a movie and entertained and have complex thoughts, complex ideas and opposing ideas shared in a movie and in a, and in, in, in the dialogue, this is a good one. So I, I'll give it four and a half. What you got? Uh, I too waffle back and forth between four and five. Um, like I told CJ earlier, this is a movie in which when it comes on, I can watch repeatedly. And I can't say that from, for many movies, um, simultaneously, as I've tried to illustrate and articulate numerous times throughout this podcast, uh, I hate this movie and I hate <laughs> it in the sense of, uh, the depiction of these people who are too comfortable in the dark side. Um, mm -hmm. and therefore I'm going to like CJ, uh, settle upon four and a half boxes of popcorn. Yep. The dark side clouds, everything <laughs> <laughs> we got to do, you know, we got to do a, one day we're going to do a star Wars movie. Yes. Man. Yes, I, yes. I don't know. I don't know which we got, we have to do one. Cause it's, it's too much. <laughs> it's too many great, great ideas that are just in that man. But all right. So let's, let's uh, get to our main ideas. So I, you know, there's a lot of things that this movie is about. Um, I think there's a lot of messages in here. Definitely. What I think, what I think this movie is asking the viewer to consider is who gets to define what is news mm. and who gets to, who gets to say in what is important for people to know? Is it the stockholders? Is it the journalists themselves? Is it the population at large? I think, I think this movie at different points is saying who like like when do we decide who gets to decide what's the population what the populace should know mm -hmm. because there's even there's even like a, a part in the movie where there's a story that comes out about like the ben affleck's uh aids girlfriend like um her Your roommate friend. and there's Your like roommate. A, yeah a salacious story about that and the editor of the of the uh washington globe is like we could have told that story and yeah. and you know russell crowe's like the story's not true and she's like it doesn't matter we could have told the story we could have told the story about it not being true and then we could have told what the real true story is but we would have we would have three stories to tell and i think like that that is a microcosm of the question of what is the responsibility of journalism hmm. not only in 2009 but also in 2023 you know we live in a world now where the idea of quote unquote fake news is a part of the lexicon now it's mm. it's said so often that it's become an easy way to dismiss any idea or mm. anything that's reported on that we don't want to believe or that we don't think is true but who gets to decide what's real who gets to decide what's true and what is the responsibility of the populace to get the truth now or you know have we become too dependent on getting our news from Facebook or getting our news from X or, you know, formerly known as Twitter or getting our news from CNN and CSC and CNBC, like who gets to, like, are any of those even reliable or are they all engaged in telling you a, a version of truth that is designed to get you to keep watching or to keep, you know, tapping it onto screens or to keep clicking on links. So I think like, that's the point of this because there's a question of when should they stop when should they tell the story what's the real truth what's the final depth and does anybody really care and i think that's the question is do we 
do we as a society really even care about what the truth is anymore? Do we care about knowing or do we just want to have whatever our preconceived notions about things just reinforced by what we're watching? And unfortunately, I think it's probably more the latter than the former. Mm. But that's what I think it's about. So what you got for us, Mr. Will? Man, that's tough to follow. I mean, uh, wow. Again, the theme of the dark side. It's got me uh it's got me all over the place, man. CJ. I don't know. I I keep telling you, man, I may have to limit my interactions with you to just our, <laughs> our, our weekly joints. <laughs> oh man. Um wow, that was very powerful. And uh the actress Katie Mixon is the one who plays the uh uh Sonia Baker's uh flatmate, uh Rhonda Silver. And Rhonda's very mm-hmm. ditzy, and she's, uh, for lack of a better phrase, uh, um, uh, the equivalent of a um, her her occupation that is is the equivalent of a Hooters girl because when they find her, mm-hmm. she's in a bar singing karaoke, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then she immediately goes before uh, uh, a bunch of reporters and gives this salacious detail of uh, having a threesome with the senator, her her roommate, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and with that being said, um, I think this movie is about truth. Um, specifically, is truth subjective? Um, I constantly hear individuals, and I've never heard it before until maybe the latter half of this decade. Um, well, he's only telling his truth. She's only telling her mm-hmm. truth. Um, um, I want to be my best self. Um, I never understood these 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 phrases because there's only one truth. It mm-hmm. is what it is. Period. There is no well my side of the of the truth. That's a perspective. That's not truth. Um and vice versa. If someone else is telling um a story or whatever have you through their lens, again, that's their perspective, but it's not the truth. They may believe it to be the truth, but there's only one truth. We went here at eight o'clock. Uh, we walked in this restaurant. We paid eighty dollars. Like those are facts that can be verified. Um, with respect to this movie, um, I find it very difficult, and I guess that's why I have this love-hate relationship with it, where all these individuals are talking about their truth. Um, Cal wants to present this story. Why? Because he's a reporter, and he, from his perspective, wants to get the best out of all of the uh, different individuals involved. He wants them to go on the record. It's the reason why he bullied Jason Bateman when he knew that he was high and and coming off of drugs. And he literally lays into him, no, we're not paying you. And you're going to do this. The more information you give us, the safer you are. The only uh, protection you'll get is anonymity. Um, it's the reason why he called Ben Affleck because he knew it'd be the thing that would drive him over the edge. And just when he thought that he lost, here comes Ben Affleck's character, Senator Stephen Collins, with his wife. And he says, oh, so you, I'm going to go on the record. And he acknowledges that this is political suicide, um, mm-hmm. whether it be with um, Cal when um, Stephen comes to his home. And uh, he says to him immediately, look, you've got to go on record. You've got to do this. And then Stephen plays him the recording off of his phone that Sonia had left for him. Uh, hours before she was killed. And he says, does this sound like someone who's going to commit suicide? And he and Cal automatically goes into reporter mode, not with a with a twinge of friendship. But again, he's offering the perspective 
or a version of the truth in which he's not revealing everything. And again, with Anne, as we've talked at ad nauseum with regards to her perspective, she was a doting wife who got cheated on. But yeah, you also cheated on him first with his best friend. So you're leaving out important details. And more importantly, uh, Mike, from micro to macro, we're talking about how in the real world, um, we're dealing with you know, the repercussions of individuals only giving us part of the story. So whether it be Donald Trump and fake news, or whether it be um, Blackgate, in this case, uh, Point Corp talking about, you know, yeah, we're an $80 billion, not $8 billion, but $80 billion mm -hmm. industry. So as, again, shout out to David Harbour, that's wrath of God money. That's, mm -hmm. hey. Yeah, I like, I love that line. Yeah, I love yeah that. you know, like, the, yeah, those are things where um, I once heard in, um, and CJ, you can help me out here. What's the name of the movie with um, uh, Mark Wahlberg's character where he's a degenerate gambler? And in that same oh, scene, it's called the gambler. Yeah, the it's called gambler. the gambler. Yeah, and um, mm -hmm. um, I can't think of his name, but Roseanne's husband. He says to him, "F you, money. You get a nice little oh yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Like that scene capsulizes what this is about, where people their 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 wants and desires outreach uh, their 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 practical or their common sense. They. They don't want to just settle for the nice house that's already paid off and they just pay the taxes every year. They don't want the nice car that's reliable. We have a friend who has a Prius. He could easily afford something more expensive and a more luxurious vehicle, but he's reliable with the Prius. Um, so I just say that to say um, we are told throughout this movie of, hey, well, it's my feelings and this is how I felt and this is my my truth and this is my version of the truth. And that's exactly what it is, their version of the truth. It's not the truth, because if they were honest and even Della, who rats out Russell Crowe's character to the editor in order to get ahead, it's, hey, let's tell the complete truth, which is ironic because isn't that what the news is about? Mm. And speaking of yeah, truth, we're talking next week about a very specific movie about which we're dealing with a false reality and cloning. <laughs> Hey, CJ, what's the name of your pick going into next week? Yeah. So, yeah, first, um, uh, from The Gambler, you were thinking of John Goodman. There you go. John Goodman's character. Yeah, it's in there. He's, it's great. That movie's got great dialogue. Yes. That's a great dialogue, great dialogue film. Um, next week, we are going to be talking about the movie They Clone Tyrone. And uh, mm -hmm. this is our this is our second one that you that you can find on Netflix, but it's the first movie we've talked about that was straight to Netflix and never mm -hmm. was in movie theaters at all. So um, it's been out for a while. Um, I guess we're about a couple months now. It, it kind of snuck up on me um, in terms of the, th the theme of it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about it. So, yeah, so we're going to come come to you all next week. We're going to talk about that. Um, once again, the Sticky Floors podcast can be found wherever you get your podcasts. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Please like, subscribe, comment. Your comments help us to do this better. We will see you next week. Peace.